And this morning, we, uh, we're going to embark upon a brand new journey, a new message series that we're just, we're titling, or have titled, I should say, Regift. What does that mean? Well, you know, actually, the word regift comes from a 1990s sitcom of all places, Seinfeld. Now, I'm not a Seinfeld fan, and we're not going to talk about Seinfeld. But it's funny how this word has become a regular part of our language. So I'm going to ask you something real quick. You have to be honest because you're in church. How many of you would confess that you have regifted something? Yeah, 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 yeah. Way to go. Way to go. There's a special blessing for all of you who have just raised your hand. So regifting is just something that has become a regular part of, of what we, you know, of what we are and what we do at this season. Now, if you take, I use the word, I put it in my notes. The classic definition of regift, and I'm not even sure that's accurate because it's such a new word, as it were. But a definition of regift is this is giving a gift that has been given to you. I mean, that's what it is. And so that's not what we're going to talk about in this series, but we are going to talk about this big idea. This big idea. My hope during this series of messages will be this is that we will renew our appreciation for the Christmas holiday, refresh our love for the traditions of Christmas, and reclaim our joy for the season of Christmas. Now, there's something I did very intentionally in this sentence. I put the word in here three times, Christmas, three times. Why? Because it, it, it should be a central part of our celebration. We're going to talk about that a while today and for the next three weeks, or two weeks, and then also on Christmas Eve. But here's what I want you to understand. And I honestly believe what I'm going to say. I believe that the busyness of, our, of this season, the busyness of this season, while it's all good, or maybe not so good, or... Maybe in your perspective, it's awful that it's so busy. I don't know what your perspective is. But in the busyness of this season and all the stuff leading up to the day of Christmas and then the aftermath of Christmas and the re- you're traveling home, you're traveling, whatever you're doing, I think what happens, it strips from us the joy and the beauty and the majesty that this season should be. And, and so what I want to do over these next few weeks I want to re-gift Christmas to you. I want us to look at Christmas for the first time all over again. To, de- to, to gather an appreciation for Christmas that maybe we've lost over the years and, and come back to the central, the central part of what this holiday is all about. So our verse that's going to help us over these next number of weeks is found in the Christmas story, Luke chapter 2. The, angels, the angel reassured them. Look at this. The angel reassured them, don't, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you what? What does he bring? Come on, say it out loud. Come on, what does he say? Good news of what? Great joy that will bring great joy to all people. That's what I am believing for over the weeks that are ahead of us. This is all about, this is great news. This is about great joy. And I believe that we can capture this or recapture this again during Christmas season 2019. When I was a kid, as probably with most, Christmas season was very, it was very uh, exciting. It was magical, I guess you could say. And it, it is such a, 
for me, we lived in a kind of a small town, and so we had White Christmas virtually every year. That's where we lived. We lived in a, in a northern part of, uh, southern part of Oregon, but it was high enough elevation. We got snow virtually every year. And then, since we lived in a small town, we did not have a toy store in our city. But J.C. Penney Department Store had a toy section every Christmas. And I'm telling you something, that was like the best place on the planet when you're like nine years old. I mean, that's as good as it gets because they had every toy imaginable. Now, I don't ever think that my parents bought me one thing from the toy section at J.C. Penney. Now, I'm not bitter, but, you know, I still kind of... But I'm telling you, it was just, it was crazy amazing. And... And we never went anywhere for Christmas. We always stayed home. My parents, once it starts snowing, they stopped traveling. It was done. We stayed home. So we always had Christmas at our house. And it was just us. We didn't have, I only had one brother. And he was, uh, he's 12 years older than I am. So he was always kind of off and gone. So it was really me. It was the three of us. But it was a wonderful time to share. You know, the, we, you, you could see the the, the beauty of the, Christmas, of the Christmas season in our home. My mom and dad did a wonderful job of creating a great atmosphere of Christmas. Well, when I was maybe nine or ten, I, my mom had asked me, they'd asked me, what would you like for Christmas? And I said, this is what I want. Here's a picture of what I want, wanted. Now, this was, now, you have to understand something. This was a few years ago. So this was like state-of-the-art in 19-whatever it was, and it was 1964, 1965. This was state-of-the-art. Those wings were made out of tin, and then it had the plastic in the front and on the tips, and then the, the front of it opened up like a real military transport, and inside was stuffed all of these little vehicles and, and soldiers, and I'm telling you, man, I was so excited about the possibility of this. So I said, Mom, Dad, this is what I want. That's all they said. Well, was, some weeks went by, and I happened to be scouting around the house, and I opened up a closet. I don't know if I was looking for presents or whatever. I, was, I don't know what I was doing. I remember opening up, and it's, it's crazy. Even after all these years, I can still see this thing sitting on the top shelf. And here's what happened. At that very moment, the anticipation for Christmas Day was gone. It was gone. You say, what? Buddy, if that's all it takes, if, if your Christmas expectation and anticipation is that fragile, you, you got things going on here. And I don't, be so, don't be so hard. Don't be so hard on me because let's just get, re, you know, I, think about it. I'd only been on the planet like 4,000 days. I wasn't that old. And 1,600 of those days, I don't even remember. So you got to give the boy a break a little bit. But let's get real for a second. Am I, is my response really all that unique? I don't, I don't think it is. My anticipation, the joy that I was looking forward to Christmas morning was crushed by the simplest of things. It was, it was gone. So I totally get it. So I totally get it when loss, hurt, memory, sickness, Stress, pressure, expectations, priorities, busyness, finances invade our Christmas space and they rob us of the joy that is the season. It's, it's gone from us. 
Some of us, even at this moment, say, I'm not really excited about Christmas. I'm, I'm more under pressure about all the stuff I got to do. I want to re-gift Christmas to you because that's not the way it's supposed to be. This is the most wonderful time of the year. And that is more than just a song. That is an absolute fact because of what this season is all about. So, this phrase, I want you to just take this phrase to heart. Oh, by the way, I did, you notice, I did get that present and still really enjoyed it after the fact. But my anticipation had been stripped from me. But here's a phrase. In any given situation or season, we can either sink into despair or rise or rise to faith and hope. Now, I'm not talking about the season of Christmas. I'm talking about any season of the year. Because the reality for all of us is that we have this choice. We can either, we can either sink into despair or we can rise to faith and hope. And it is my desire over these weeks that that's what we're going to do. We're going to rise to faith and hope. About 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah, uh, he really is the, kind of the standard bearer of, of messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. Other prophets prophesied, but Isaiah, was the, he was prolific in his prophecies. About 700 years, he's prophesying to the nation of Israel and to Judah, and it wasn't a particularly good time for either nation. Uh, Assyria, who was the superpower of the day, was threatening on the northern border of Israel. And they knew that God was going to use Assyria to, to accomplish his purposes and his judgment on the nation. Not only that, Israel had, was awash in idol worship, as was Judah. There was, re, there was open rebellion against God. It was not a good time. So in the midst of those conditions, Isaiah gives this extraordinary prophecy in chapter 9 of Isaiah. So we want, to look at the set, we want to look at seven verses this morning from Isaiah chapter 9. So they're in your worship guide. They're also on the screen. Take a look at it with me if you would. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke, of the, the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Father, speak life to us from your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Three things I want you to consider today. Number one, it, for our anticipation to rise and joy to, be, to remain and be sustained, we need to face life, face life with godly optimism. We need to face life with godly optimism. And I wonder how you might characterize yourself this morning. Are you an optimist? An optimist is like the guy who's on the 18th floor and he fell like took it, he slipped and he's on his way down and on the ninth floor he's heard saying, hey, so far so good. 
Think about it. You'll get it. What, or, or you are the pessimist. The pessimist lives by Murphy's Law. If anything can go wrong, it will. It will. Or are you the realist? The realist says, just the facts, please, just the facts. No emotion connected to it. So are we an optimist? Are we a pessimist? Or are we a realist? If we're an optimist, to be an optimist is, an optimism is a disposition or a tendency to look on the more favorable side of events or conditions and to expect the most favorable outcome. I wonder if that's what, if that's what characterizes us. Are, are we optimists? Or better yet, are we a godly optimist? There's a difference. You see, if we're a godly optimist, then you gotta throw something else in the mix, especially when life goes sideways or flips on its head. Do we remain optimistic? Optimistic. You see, this is what Israel and Judah are facing. They're facing a lot of upside down, sideways conditions. And you may have missed it, but in the midst of the text that we just read, there are seven different words that we may have just blown right over the top of and not really grasped how challenging the times were and what Isaiah is referencing. So I'm going to give it to you real quick. The first one was gloom, gloom, which is darkness, dim, it's depression, low spirit, sad, dejected, somber. Another word was distress, anguish. The state of extreme necessity or misfortune, darkness. Picture yourself on a moonless night or in a cave without any lights. A yoke, a yoke that burdens. A yoke was a, a, an instrument that kept draft animals together. It spoke of being in servitude. But then Isaiah goes on, a bar across their shoulders. In other words, again, this oppression. And then the rod of the oppressors, one more. And then the last one was the boot of the warrior. Let me tell you something. Those are extreme conditions. Extreme conditions. You say, well, if it's so extreme, how in the world, in the middle of all of that, can I remain optimistic? Because some of us right now are in the middle of distress, darkness. Your life is best, con your, your life is best described as being gloomy. You feel as if there is pressure on every side. There is a rod of oppression upon you, maybe by your own decisions or by things that have just occurred within your life. You are feeling it all, and you're going, and I'm supposed to be happy and joyful at Christmas time when all this stuff is going on? How in the world can that even happen? But here is something else we might have missed as you read that text, and it's a fantastic word. It's the first word in Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 1. The first word, nevertheless. You say, why is that significant? Because everything that Isaiah says from this point forward is literally in the, it's in the past. God has already done something even though nothing has already been done. God is already at work. He is saying, nevertheless, if there's gloom, if there's darkness, if there's distress, if there's the rod of the oppression, if there is a warrior's boot, I want to tell you something. There's something else that's coming because every one of those statements, there is a contrasting statement that Isaiah puts into this text. And this is what we will find. He says, there's no gloom, there's light, there's increased joy, there's rejoicing, there's shattering the yoke. The bar has been shattered and warrior's boots are destined to 
be burned. What is it all saying? We can be optimistic regardless of what happens because of the nevertheless. When God speaks, there is something that is on the doorstep. And so here, remember, God is actively working for our good even when life appears to be out of control. Man, and I'm grateful for that because there are times when life is going to feel out of control. It's just going to happen. Lamentations chapter 3. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah would say. It says, because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. I can just stop right there. God loves us so much. Because of his great love, you and I are not consumed. We're going to be able to withstand the distress and the darkness and the gloom when it comes. And can I just tell you, it will come. I grew up in a, in a winter climate. And I'm really grateful that now if I want winter, I drive to winter. I don't have to live in winter. Thank you, Jesus, for Southern California. Whoa, man, I'm telling you. But growing up in a winter climate, I learned something. That just because the roads look fine, it doesn't necessarily mean they are. It's a thing called black ice. And if you've ever experienced black ice, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Be driving, no big deal. The road looks just the same. You come around a corner, black ice, the next thing you know, you're sideways. That's exactly the way life is. We go sideways in a heartbeat. You say, but Gary, how do I... This godly optimism, how does that all, how does that all work? We're going to talk, we're going to continue that, that pathway, but we are, we're really, we're really called to be optimists as followers of Christ because God is there with us. He's already at work. He's actively, one more time, he's actively working for our good even when life appears to be out of control. So we can remain optimistic. I love what the Apostle Paul shows us over a period of, of years. I'm going to give you three passages of Scripture very quickly, but I just want to set them up. He writes to the Corinthians a letter of instruction. This is about 55 AD, okay? Then a little later, you find him under house arrest in Philippians chapter 4. This is about 61, 62 AD, so about seven years, six, seven years later. Then you see him just prior to his death, 66, 67, and now he is in prison. But listen to what Paul says in each of these three circumstances. Notice, remember, he's just writing a letter, he's under house arrest, and then he's in prison. Three different things. 2 Corinthians 4. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look on the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Now understand, it looks a little different from his perspective. Because things aren't particularly kind of upside down at that point for Paul. And so in some respects, you look at these and say, well, it's kind of just philosophical. You know, he's just kind of ideas. He's really not experiencing it. But now look at what he says. He's under house arrest in Philippians 4. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Okay, that's, that's fine. I mean, that's kind of a ramp up. And, you know, things are a little bit more challenging. And then one more. 
2 Timothy 4, my life is being given, listen to this, as an offering for, to God. And the time has come for me to leave this life. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now a crown, come on, now a crown is being held for me, a crown for being right with God. The Lord, the judge who judges rightly, will give the crown to me on that day, not only to me, but to all those who have waited for the love, waited with love for him to come again. Understand something, regardless of what's going on, if your life is sideways or upside down, we can still be optimistic through Christ. That's what this season's about. You see, we can have anticipation rise. Our joy can remain and be sustained. But godly optimism is something we need to embrace. The second thought this morning is that we need to keep our focus on Jesus. I'm telling you, there's a lot of distractions. And we all face those. <clears throat> when I was, again, kind of back to my childhood, I was, I, I, don't, get, don't misunderstand, I didn't read the paper, you know, but I saw something in the paper. The only time I ever read the paper was trying to find the comics somewhere in the middle, and especially on Sundays because they were in full color. That was really fun. That was about the extent of my newspaper thing. But I saw something that caught my attention, and it was this. Here's what I, here's what I read. Keep Christmas comical. And I went, what? And then I looked at it again. It was actually keep Christmas commercial. Okay. Now they were, they were wanting to people to spend money at Christmas. But you know, again, when you're like nine years old, the first thing I thought of, I went, keep it comical. Now I knew enough about the Christmas story and the real meaning of Christmas and I was offended. Go, wait a minute. That's not what Christmas is about. There's nothing funny about Christmas. I was getting all up, you know. I'm, you know, nine years old. How up can a nine-year-old get? I don't know. But I was all up, and then I realized, oh, I, I made a mistake. But here's what, I, here's what I want you to catch. This might be cliched, but it doesn't mean it's not true. You've probably seen this phrase somewhere around. I think it says something like, Jesus is the reason for the season. You ever see that? Maybe for the last 10, 15 years it's been around. Is it a cliche? Yeah, it is. Is it true? Absolutely. Without Jesus at the focus, at the center of this, of this celebration of Christmas, I want to tell you something. Our anticipation is stripped away. The joy that should be within our hearts is not even present. It's not present and probably not even possible. Jesus is the reason we celebrate the way that we celebrate. And our joy will not be robbed by the season if we keep our focus on Jesus. And I love the way Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Let me just stop. What is so wonderful about those two phrases, they're very similar. But in the Hebrew, the original language of the Old Testament, they really indicate two different things. One speaks to the humanity of Jesus and the other speaks to his deity. So what we have is this complete picture of who Jesus is. And so the prophet says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. This is both man, this is both God. There's something amazing that is happening. And then he goes on, and the government will be on his shoulders. Let me stop. You remember that the rod of the oppressor is upon the shoulders, that they're yoked together, they're bound in bondage, but yet the something is gonna happen because of the son, because of who is coming, because of the Messiah. That, that, the government is gonna be on the shoulders of the 
one who is coming. In other words, it's going to be broken off of us, and it's going to be put upon him. He's the one who's going to direct. Oh, gets exciting. Then, look at this. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Hallelujah. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Does it get any better than that? You see, that's where our focus should be. So I think about the wonderful counselor. Once again, if you go, if you look a little deeper, the actual translation could be this, that he is a wonder of a counselor. In other words, everything that we would need in counseling, in advice, in information, he has for us. And it's a wonder to be provided for us. His name, this name, really indicates that it's beyond comprehension. In fact, there is no equivalent in the Hebrew language to the word for supernatural. This is as close as it gets, is the phrase that is used here for wonder. It's the supernatural power of Christ to provide for us all that we need when we need it. I don't know about you, but there are times I have questions, and I need to ask somebody what to do. Why wouldn't I ask the wonder of a counselor? Because Scripture tells me in Isaiah chapter 11, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And every, In other words, everything that we need is found in in Christ. When you need wisdom, James says to do this, but if any of you needs wisdom, you should ask God for it. He is generous to everyone and and will give you wisdom without criticizing you. Do you need some wisdom today? You see, what happens is that life gets really crazy. There's a lot of distress and darkness and gloom. We have a lot of questions. Can I encourage you to ask the wonder of a counselor? He's available and he'll provide the wisdom. The second is mighty God. This doesn't doesn't need a lot of explanation. The implication is obvious. This is God himself, all his power, all his authority and abilities are available for everything in our life. Isaiah mentions, everything that Isaiah mentions and even more, he is our savior. He is our healer. He is our deliverer. He is our provider. There is nothing, there is nothing God cannot do. So I'm just asking you the question, do you need an everything today? Whatever that is. Some of us are in the middle of gloom. Some of us are at our wit's end, as Psalm 107 would say. Some of us are just in the middle of darkness. Some are oppressed. Some of us in this room right now are bound by something. It is holding you back from what God has for your life, and you are not letting go of it, nor is the enemy letting go of you. And today is the day if you will come to the mighty God and allow him, he will deliver you. That's a word for somebody. I don't know who that is. But do not walk through this life bound by the rod of the oppressor. Because Jesus has come to set you free. He's the mighty God. He can do that. He's also the everlasting Father. I love that phrase, everlasting Father. I grew up with a really great dad. I'm, I'm blessed. There's no question. I grew up with a great dad. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. But I know some of us 
did not have that as our experience. That's what makes this so beautiful. God is the, is the perfect father. He provides for us the care, the concern over our lives in perfect measure. But not only is he the perfect father, but it's everlasting. It's something that doesn't end. It's, not, it's something that does not go away. And then he's the prince of peace. The prince of peace. He removes all things that threaten our peace. He gives us peace. We are at peace with God because of him. And he is our peace, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. For he himself is our peace. And then Paul would say it again in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Let me tell you this morning, the, the reason that we are at peace today is because of another holiday we will celebrate later in the spring called Easter. Jesus went to the cross to purchase for us our salvation and we are at peace with God because of what Christ has done. Hallelujah. This morning, if you're not at peace with God, you can be because Christ is made a way. And here we see that our focus needs to remain upon Jesus. Remember my misreading of keeping Christmas commercial and me thinking it was comical? It is what it is. But let me just say for the record today, I want to keep Christ in Christmas. I want my focus to be on him and not all the other stuff. And I challenge all of us to live the same during this particular season. When I lose my focus... When I lose my focus on Jesus, hear this carefully, there's gloom, darkness, distress, pressure, and every other thing that you can imagine. When our focus is not on Jesus. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2 says. We must focus on Jesus, the source and goal of our faith. He saw the joy ahead of him, so he endured death on the cross and ignored the disgrace it brought him. Now he holds the honor position, the one next to God, the Father on the heavenly throne. Keep your focus on Jesus. And lastly, trust. Trust the Lord completely. Trust the Lord completely. One of the things that stands out in my memories of Christmas is is kind of the the, the aftermath. Let Let me kind of unpack it for you. We, and I've, I've, I've talked about this before, my mother did not like messes. So we did, before artificial trees were popular, we had an artificial tree. Now, it was made out of aluminum. Yes, everything that you can think about aluminum, and I would honestly say, I've said this many times, there's nothing quite like the smell of aluminum at Christmas. So I'm not sure what that is, but I still have that tree, by the way, and it is set up today in our bedroom at home. This tree was purchased about 1965, 1966. I still have the original box. And on that box is a price tag from Payless Drugstore. cost six bucks. <laughs> there it is. And when you open up the box, I've got all of the original tubes, uh, these little uh, paper tubes that all of the little foil uh, branches went into. I even went on eBay and bought me one of the circular things that show the different colors. <laughs> so that's all set up in my room. So mom had set this up every year, and then, you know, it, was, it would just fill up with presents underneath, you know, for, for us. It would fill up. And man, I'm telling you, like 10 days ahead of time at Christmas, you're just going, oh, this is so cool. I can't wait. 
Can't wait. Christmas is coming. Christmas. Then there's nine days, eight, ten, seven, six, five, four, three. And then it's Christmas Day. And you open up all the gifts. And then about 20 minutes later, it's all gone. And you go, I have to wait 365 days for all of this to start again. Oh, man, I am so, oh, so let down. I'm so bummed. Right? Well, you know something? The truth is that we can experience we can experience things like gloom and distress and darkness, even, even when we have we're facing life with godly optimism. Even when our focus is on Jesus. Why? Why? Because remember a moment ago I talked about that black eyes thing? We can have everything together. We can be doing everything right. And then all of a sudden, we're going 70 miles down the road, 70 miles an hour down the road. Everything's just fine. We think everything's cool. Everything's cruising. And then all of a sudden, we're in a ditch on the side of the road. And we look back and we say, what just happened? I'm telling you, life goes sideways very, very quickly. I can guarantee it. Ten days ago, there are things that were going on that you had no idea today would have happened. You're in a different place today than you were a year ago. And we could go on and on and on. I want to tell you, you can be living your life right. You can be doing everything correct. You could have godly priority. You can have godly optimism. You can have your focus on Jesus. And you can still hit the black ice. Then what do you do? How do I maintain? How do I sustain a joy and a constant anticipation for the things of God throughout life? How do I do that? I just simply would say, just as we've said, it's trust God completely. We have to trust God whether things are great or whether they're not. Isaiah 9-7 really helps us. Look at it. Of the greatness of, the, of his government and peace, there will be no end. Just, just meditate on that for a second. Of the greatness of his rule, okay? Of the greatness of his rule, his authority over all things, it will never end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and how long? Forever. And then this, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. God's promises are true. We must trust him completely. You see, the word zeal is really significant. It means extreme dedication and real commitment. Then when you put into that, that real commitment and extreme dedication who it is we're talking about, we're talking about the one who will literally break the rod of oppression. We are talking about the one who will burn the boots of the warriors. We are talking about the one who will bring light into darkness. We are talking about the one who relieves the distress. Trust him completely. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. His promises are true, and they will last forever. Hallelujah. It's going to happen. 
It's going to happen. Psalm 32 says, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in and relies on the Lord shall be surrounded with compassion and loving kindness. Proverbs 3, trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. And I love it that Amanda read it earlier today. Isaiah 26, you will keep in perfect peace. All who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you, trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. We can sustain the joy. Our anticipation can always rise regardless of what's going on in our life. Why? When we put our trust completely in him, he will not back down on his promises. Trust him. Trust him completely. And then if you're sitting in a ditch... Because of that crazy black eyes, you can just say, Lord, I didn't expect to be here, but I trust in you, and I will not let what has occurred in my life rob me of what you have for me. It is the Lord who plans the future, shatters the foes, and keeps his promises. Hallelujah. One last thought. When you talk about anticipation, when you talk about the first advent of Christ, which is what we're talking about at Christmas, there's an anticipation that all of us as Christ followers must have, and that is in the second advent. And you see, life can go sideways and upside down and crazy, but I want you to know something. Jesus is coming again. And that is a hope that we have. Hear me. That the second coming of Christ is not the great escape for those who know Christ. This is the great hope that we have. Is that he has not left us alone and that he makes good on his promises. John chapter 14 and verse number 3 says, I, this is Jesus saying, I will come back so that you can be where I am. He's already gone to prepare a place for us. So there's great anticipation for that day. And there's joy that remains and is sustained because I'm looking, I'm looking to the day when Jesus comes to take me to the home he's prepared and to take us. So this morning as we bring our time to a close I trust your anticipation for this holiday's rising. But I want you to also understand, maybe because of the way things are, you know, it's non-existent. Because you've just hit patch after patch of black eyes. Things are just crazy. But I want you to know, the remedy to maintain, I should say, and sustain a godly optimism and Rather, to the anticipation rising is a godly optimism, a focus on Jesus and to trust him completely. And I want to encourage you to do that at this season of the year, re-gifting to you the Christmas season.